Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Easter according to the Gospel of John. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Convinced. Early on Sunday morning, April 5th, A.D. 33, I think, a group of women made their way to the tomb of Jesus in order to lay spices there. They found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. Mary Magdalene, one of the women in the group, did not stop to investigate. She ran back inside the walls of Jerusalem to find Peter and John. The rest of the women remained and examined the tomb, and then, during that time, an angel appeared and explained to them that Jesus had risen. They were overwhelmed with joy and immediately believed. On the way back to Jerusalem to find the disciples and tell them about the angel, Jesus appeared to them. Matthew 28, 9-10 describes the encounter. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. Now Mary didn't have that experience because she didn't stay, and I'm going to say more about that in a minute. I mean, she had brought Peter and John there, and then they had left. So now let's read John 20, 11 to 16. Mary's there by herself. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. The first people to see Jesus raised were a group of women. The second appearance is his appearance to Mary Magdalene. You know, it's been pointed out by more than one Bible teacher that the first resurrection encounters with Jesus were with the women and not the apostles. Now, is there any significance in that? Well, I think so. John Calvin put it this way. He says, it's strange that a more competent witness could not be found. Well, he's speaking about Mary Magdalene. And you might think he's being a bit sexist here. I mean, a man from the Middle Ages disdainful of women. But really, he's not. I mean, first of all, the evidence of women in a Jewish court was often considered inadmissible. Secondly, Mary Magdalene is the woman from whom, according to both Mark and Luke, Jesus had cast out seven demons. And the reason I mention it is because she most likely had a disreputable and disgraceful past. Some suggest she was a prostitute, but, you know, actually there's no evidence for that in the Bible. But regardless of her past, she was once completely filled with demons. I mean, who believes someone like that? I think if the disciples were fabricating this account, they would certainly not have begun the resurrection experiences with the story of the women. Most readers would have discounted it on that basis. But the reason it's there is because that's what happened. And I think it happened that way because God is determined not to play to our prejudices, but rather to bring disgrace to our prejudices. So let's begin where John does with the mystery of the empty tomb. I know that we discussed the first 10 verses of this chapter yesterday, but let's just do a bit of a review. 
First, please notice that no human being actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Indeed, the first thing the women saw was the stone rolled away and an empty tomb. That's it, an empty cave. Grave clothes of Jesus lying precisely where the body had been. We noted a number of responses to that bit of evidence. Let me review those responses. The first response to the empty tomb might be the response of atheism. Look, I'm not saying that Thomas is even close to an atheist, but in reality, his response is the same response as today's atheist. Unless I'm given more proof than the report of others, unless I observe him for myself, I will not believe. An empty tomb simply isn't enough. Neither are ancient prophecies or eyewitness accounts. A second response to the empty tomb might be the response of the agnostic. The agnostic response is you know, more reasonable. He or she simply says, there's not enough evidence to make an informed choice. Again, I'm not saying that Peter is an agnostic at the tomb, for John simply has Peter examining the empty tomb. Luke in Luke 24, 12 simply says that either he was marveling, that, that's amazed at what had happened, or depending on your translation, wondering, that is, contemplating what he's just seen. If I understand his reaction, it's a reaction that says, I don't know what to make of it. I don't have enough evidence to form an opinion. Again, I'm not arguing that Peter is what we would technically call an agnostic, but his reaction bears some consideration. Agnosticism is the belief that truth claims about God are simply unknowable. That is, we have no tools to examine them, so it's best to leave all God talk off the table. An agnostic standing at the empty tomb says, we simply can't be sure about what's happened since none of us were eyewitnesses to the event. Let's reserve judgment whereas the atheist says he doesn't believe, the agnostic says, I don't know. But there's also the response of faith, and that says John 20, verse 8, is the response of John. Our text says he also went in, that is, into the empty tomb. He saw the evidence of the burial cloths, and he believed. He observed the grave clothes and came to the conclusion that the evidence before him was enough. Now, you might say, these are the only possible options when it comes to the empty tomb, atheism, agnosticism, or faith. You know, some will argue with you, others will be open, but never decide, and others will believe. I mean, what other options are there? Ah, but there is another option, and it's the option of Mary Magdalene. Notice that she saw what the other women at the tomb also saw. Stones rolled away, places deserted. And I find it fascinating that she doesn't step forward to investigate. She runs away, going to find Peter and John. And by the time she gets to them, she seems genuinely disturbed. Someone has taken the body of Jesus. Peter and John run to investigate. In verse 10, the disciples go back to their homes. And Mary doesn't go back with them. She stays and weeps. The Greek word used for weeping is sometimes translated as to wail. And some scholars say that the emphasis on this word is the noise that accompanies the weeping. It would seem that Mary is loudly wailing outside the empty tomb. As we think about this, I imagine two explanations. The first is that she loves Jesus and everyone is gone and she can't go. He's died in a horrible way and now his resting place has been disturbed. The final disrespect of the man she loves, her emotions now control her and she simply doesn't hold them in anymore. You know, those of you who've encountered overwhelming sadness know what it is not to be able to control your emotions anymore. Some of you, perhaps even today, while you're listening to me, have lived with sadness for years. And it's sadness that marks your life. Your, your face shows it, so do your actions. And waves of sadness sometimes just roll over you. You don't know what to do. 
And that's Mary Magdalene right now, a woman whom Jesus delivered, a woman who loved him deeply, now standing outside the empty tomb. And she's overwhelmed with grief. Her shoulders are heaving. She's overcome. She holds nothing back. When everyone else has deserted the tomb, she's still there. It's an indication of how deeply she has loved him. But there's another way of understanding her reaction, and it is also unbelief. See, I want to ask Mary Magdalene just, who did you think all of this time that Jesus was? After all, the demons that had once possessed you and then fled in horror at his presence and at the sound of his voice, what did you then think that was all about? And furthermore, what you saw him do, the healings, the nature miracles. How about those three times when he had raised someone from the dead? And didn't he say that he must suffer, that he must be killed and raised on the third day? What do those experiences tell you about this empty tomb? Come on, Mary, think about that. But Mary can't put these things together because of her despair. You see, and in her despair, it has prevented her from having John's response of faith. I wanted to say there is a fourth response to the empty tomb, and it is the response of despair. It's giving up on hope. You know, I once heard John Piper advising parents that when they train their children, he said, don't make the first lesson that you train them that they are to love Jesus. Instead, he said, make it their first lesson that they are to trust Jesus, trust him in whatever he has said. And once they have learned to trust him implicitly, they will learn to love him. But Mary, I think, had done it the other way around. She had loved him, but had not trusted him fully. I think it's not just true of children. You know, there are some of you that are listening to me today who who love Jesus, but you haven't trusted him. That's why you're inconsistent in your life. You know, a tragedy strikes you or suffering comes your way, despair creeps in, your first reaction is overwhelming grief. The obedience for Jesus falters. You're not known for your devotion to him because grief keeps you away. There is no event more significant to the body of Christ than Easter. It's a time to reflect on the ultimate sacrifice made by Jesus that paid the price for humanity's sins. To help us reflect on this holy occasion, we put together a special short-form video feature of select scriptures from Dr. John's new series, Easter According to the Gospel of John. We believe this video will help prepare your heart for Easter So all you need to do is head over to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or visit our website at backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, don't forget to click the subscribe button and never miss another ministry feature video. Thank you for all you do to support this ministry. For more information or to gift this ministry with your support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Some never make progress in Christ. There are times when, you know, they seem faithful to Christ, then something happens. It might be a distraction, it might be a temptation, it could be grief, it could be deep disappointment with the church or other Christians. And you stand before the door of the empty tomb and you wouldn't understand. Your your despair is your marker. 
And as long as despair rules you and not faith, things will never change. So here's a piece of good news. Jesus changed a woman just like that. From our text, notice two fascinating things. First, notice that it's only now that Mary finally enters the tomb, even to investigate. I mean, why did she first run away and tell Peter and John of the missing body of Jesus? Why does it take until now to investigate the tomb for the first time? Second, I also notice she sees two angels who ask her why she's weeping. I mean, most of us would be amazed to see two figures now inside the tomb, whereas up to this point in time, the tomb has been empty. But in her grief, she doesn't ask them who they are or how they got there. She simply tells them she has reasons for grieving. She has every right to grieve. I mean, look what she's gone through. Look what's happened. See, I want to say, yes, Mary, but are you able to notice these two men? Well, apparently not. Again, I can't help but make application for Mary may represent you. Your heart is completely consumed with your grief. You're right now missing the action of God. And as that's going on for Mary, she becomes aware of a third man behind her. Please notice that Mary has not entered the tomb, and I suspect that Jesus was standing in the garden behind her. And he asks her the same question, why are you weeping? And then even tries to help her. Tell me, whom are you seeking? If only she'd begin to talk about the man she's seeking, that would help. She turns and looks at him. He's standing now directly in front of her, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. That part of the account has caused some discussion. I mean, why does she not know him? I mean, some suggest it was still dark, but that's not possible. By the time she got to the tomb, it was already light. She'd found Peter and John. They'd investigated the tomb. They'd gone home. The sun is clearly up. It's fully light. And others have suggested perhaps she's been crying so much she can't see. Perhaps there are reasons to look for another possibility. I mean, Luke tells of Jesus having a a lengthy conversation with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, so much so that they asked him into their homes, made food for him. They sat down to eat with him, and they engaged in conversation with him. And at the time that they broke bread, suddenly at that moment, they recognized him, not until then. We might say, well, yeah, that happened, but isn't the explanation in Luke 24, 16, which says their eyes were kept from recognizing him? Well, true, but consider John 21, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So it seems the disciples did recognize him, but sometimes they had difficulty. And why is that? Well, some time ago, I had a conversation with a non-Christian, and he asked me, I thought it was a great question, how is the resurrection of Jesus unique? I mean, for instance, Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, why isn't that the unique moment in history for you? That's a great question, and one I want us to consider. See, notice that when Lazarus came out of his tomb, he's covered with his grave clothes. And when Jesus came out of his tomb, he left the grave clothes behind. And there's a significance to that. Lazarus' miracle represents resuscitation. Jesus represents resurrection. Listen to what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. In other words, the body of Jesus was not simply healed of its wounds, restored and given life again. The entire body was transformed. It received a metamorphosis in which it was now made of elements that while they were real and physical, are made of unearthly elements that are no longer subject to decay. And so Jesus, while still looking like himself, looks very different at the same time. His body has been transformed. As we go through this study on the resurrection of Jesus, we'll say more about that. And in some fashion, Mary's not making the connection. 
But when Jesus simply says her name, Mary, well, she's heard him say that very often before, and she immediately recognizes him. Unfortunately, her next words are not the highest expressions of Christology. Remember Peter at Caesarea Philippi? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Or remember Martha, as she stood at the tomb of her brother Lazarus, she says, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. I wish Mary Magdalene had something more profound to say, but all she knows is Rabboni, teacher. And that will do. For if Jesus is her teacher, then she will submit to him. And with that, she begins to cling to him. John 20 verses 17 and 18 says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Well, she's probably fallen down at his feet like the other women did. You know, she's clinging to his ankles and feet. There are many who have mused over this scene. I mean, what's meant in verse 17? That she is not to cling to Jesus, for he's not yet ascended to his father. And some people have come up with some very fascinating theories about that, but I think the answer is actually quite simple. Let me rephrase verse 17 in this way. Jesus said to her, you don't have to hang on to me as if I'm going to ascend to heaven right now and you'll never see me again. I've not yet ascended to heaven, but I'm here for those who love me. Now go tell the disciples. In other words, you're still desperate rather than being filled with faith even at this moment. I've been trying to paint a picture of Mary Magdalene, the picture of a woman who doesn't fit into our neat categories of atheist, agnostic, or believer. She's something in between an agnostic and a believer. She loves Jesus. She hopes all is going to turn out well, but she's prone to despair whenever things go badly. She doesn't yet have the full confidence of someone who trusts the authority and power of Christ implicitly. And I've said, some of us are like that. But the resurrection changes everything. And we have to come to terms with the wonderful truth that the raised body of Jesus represents not just proof that he's alive, but that we now have objective evidence of the truth of what he says. His resurrection represents also a new humanity. His resurrection represents the fundamental break with death, which means a fundamental break from sin and its consequences, from fear and from doubt, from uncertainty, from constantly taking detours and having no great overarching purpose to life. You know, he's the beginning of a new humanity, a humanity in which death and defeat and despair have no more place. Once you grasp that, the world is changed. You know, each advancing year is not a threat anymore. All your sins and failures are not the end. Your struggle with sin can only go one way now. Great tragedies in life are only the pathway to the open tomb. Satan can't win. Have you seen that? Some of you have never gotten there, and so you must meditate on what the empty tomb and the raised body of Jesus really means. Stop your despair. Rise off your knees. Stand on your feet. Worship before God. Rejoice. Be strong. Christ has conquered. Death is ultimately overcome. Do you believe? Has your knowledge of Christ been so profound that you know this victory everywhere you go? Can you now forsake everything and give yourself unreservedly to Christ? For in him, how can you lose? Death has been defeated. Christ represents a new humanity. Well, he not only represents that, I want to say that he also represents personal intimacy with God. 
You see, when Christ said Mary's name, she immediately knew his voice. It was in this moment of intimacy that she falls on her face before him. And you see, intimacy with God just simply means everything. It means we trust him, we run to him every day, and we simply live like that. You know, we read our Bible in order to find all the promises that God has for us. And then we tell God, well, I know that you've promised this and you've sealed that promise in the resurrection of Jesus. And on the basis of his resurrection, I'll say, I trust every promise. And in this, I become increasingly intimate with him. And then we find reasons to believe. And I love what Jesus says to her. I am ascending to my father and to your father, he says. In other words, he wants the intimacy with Mary to be real. The relationship between them is to be that close. And with that, I imagine Mary is ready to stand to her feet. She goes to the disciples now, and she's a changed woman. She's a woman who actually believes. And she says, I've seen the Lord. So here's my question. Have you seen the Lord? Have you risen to your feet? And are you bold enough to believe in the face of every other thing that you now face? Because if you still haven't come to that place, you need to revel in the glory of the empty tomb and of the raised Jesus. Have you not seen that his resurrection has changed absolutely everything? So be free and live in the light of that resurrection. Thanks so much, John. You know, we can all attend Easter services. Uh, We can believe that the tomb is empty. But how should that dramatically impact our lives right now? Well, we do know that the principle of the resurrection of Jesus is that we already now have a foretaste when the Holy Spirit is given to us, when we receive a new heart, that is, we're regenerate. This already is the beginning of the life to come. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus tells us that we have received new life today and that, of course, the new life that we have received is eternal life. And of all the things that eternal life means, I know that people always talk about it, that it's a, a quality of life, and surely that's true, but it's also eternal. That is, it can't be snuffed out by death. So, I mean, I think we have to, at every time we can to Easter, have this gladness in our heart. Um, death has been defeated. Yes, death has been defeated. We will rise to be like Christ. Death will not be the end of our lives. See how important it is to remember that and rejoice. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. As cherished children of God, we all share the Great Commission to spread the gospel across the globe. This is no simple command, but if we partner with each other, we stand a much greater chance of enriching the lives of many with the good news of Jesus Christ. This month to commemorate the importance of this partnership, Back to the Bible Canada is celebrating our monthly partners who bless this ministry with their consistent gifts. Thank you so much for your continued support. Our Bible teaching and engagement resources simply cannot exist without it. By donating monthly, you join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and gain access to all its unique benefits. To find out more about these exclusive benefits or to become an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner, 
just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.